With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 265. It's titled... Invest like a Tesla. A few weeks ago, I test drove a Tesla Model 3. I was in San Diego. We went out on the highway and we turned on autopilot. I was a little freaked out. I've had a car that has had adaptive cruise control. I was comfortable with that, but the idea of the car changing lanes, letting go of the steering wheel to allow it to change lanes... I think you let go of the steering wheel. At least you you held on to it, and it it drove for you, but didn't completely drive for you. And so it was sort of how much control should I give this car? The Brookings Institute did a survey last year and found that only 21% of adult Internet users said they are inclined to use a self-driving car. 61% said they would never do it. The American Automobile Association survey, this is from this past March, said 71% of those that responded feared autonomous vehicles. Greg Brannon, who's the AAA's Director of Automotive Engineering, said it's possible that the sustained level of fear is rooted in a heightened focus, whether good or bad, on incidents involving these type of vehicles. Self-driving cars. When we've been down in Phoenix, you you see them, particularly in in the Chandler area, Waymo. There's self-driving cars being tested. The National Highway Transportation Safety Association says 94% of accidents are from human error. Now, that seems low to me because there aren't that many self-driving cars on the road. Cars typically don't just take off in terms of their acceleration. It's human error. It's distraction. It's texting while driving. It's fatigue. It's falling asleep. It's being overly aggressive when in a hurry, or it's just making a mistake and not seeing a car, and you pull out in front of it. Autonomous vehicles are essentially an extension of safety features. More and more safety features are being added to cars. This Prius we just got has sensors all over the place. It will bump you back into your lane if you cross over the line. Essentially, a self-driving car is just a bundle of safety features. James Armstrong wrote an article in The Telegraph about what is a self-driving car, and he points out, radar sensors around the car monitor the position of vehicles nearby. Video cameras detect traffic lights, read road signs, and keep track of other vehicles, while also looking out for pedestrians and other obstacles. LIDAR sensors help to detect the edges of the road and identify lane markings by bouncing pulses of light off the car's surrounding. Ultrasonic sensors in the wheels can detect the position of the curb and other vehicles when parking. And then, finally, he writes, a central computer analyzes all the data from the various sensors to manipulate the steering, acceleration, and braking. That's what a self-driving car is. And we're terrified of the thought. I was terrified to let 
these sensors do their job. There's a fascinating paper I found this week that explains why we're afraid to let algorithms work for us, even though the algorithms can do a better job. Berkeley Dietvors and Soham Barty of the University of Chicago, their paper is titled, People Reject Even the Best Possible Algorithm in Uncertain Decision Domains. One of the phrases that just stood out to me in reading the paper is this, people want to maximize the likelihood of perfect answers. We want algorithms to be perfect. When we think about Tesla, we focus on those few times that the Tesla autopilot and other self-driving cars resulted in a driver or pedestrian death. But we ignore that the average number of errors for a self-driving car are significantly less on a per-car basis than it is for a human driving a car. In their paper, the authors write, we propose that decision makers often have the goal of maximizing their probability of providing a perfect answer. In other words, avoiding any error. Instead of, for example, minimizing their average level of error. As a result, when a decision maker is choosing between two decision-making methods, they select the method that they believe to have the higher probability of providing a perfect answer instead of the method that performs better than average. Why do we do that? Well, we do it in the face of irreducible uncertainty. In other words, where we don't really know what's going to happen. And we don't know what's going to happen until after it does. Investing is like that. Completely uncertain. We've talked about it being a complex adaptive system where all the players are adapting and learning over time. In that scenario, a human decision maker is not going to be right all the time, nor is an algorithm. Now, if we contrast that with deterministic domains, where there is no irreducible uncertainty, solving a math problem, you know that's going to be solved. And so we trust a calculator because there's just one answer. And the calculator can do it faster than us, and it'll give a perfect answer. But in uncertain domains, where there's a huge amount of uncertainty, we don't trust algorithms because, and this is their theory, because we want the algorithm to be perfect. We hold the algorithm to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. And in this quest for perfection, they suggest that we actually prefer Humans, even though they're wrong, more often, in other words, greater variability in their responses. Sometimes they're correct. Often they're wrong. We tend to overemphasize the times that they're correct and de-emphasize when they're wrong. But when we're looking out into the future and we don't know what the answer is, we trust humans more because we think they're more flexible, that an algorithm's constrained and is less likely to get a perfect answer. It's an interesting theory. They write, a chooser who only considers each method's likelihood of being perfect will value the upside of higher variance, increased probability of perfect answers, and underweight the downside, i.e. increased probability of terrible answers. Thus, such a decision maker may see high variance as a positive attribute. 
They say the flexibility around the human's future strategy will maintain the possibility that they could be more likely to provide perfect forecasts in the future. We think humans are adaptable. They are adaptable. And we trust them more because we believe that maybe this time they'll get it right. There's an article in the Harvard Business Review by Alex P. Miller, and he addresses this. It was titled, One Less Biased Decisions Use Algorithms. And he talked about the whole group of authors and academics and journalists that are negative toward algorithms. Titles of books like Weapons of Math Destruction, Automating Inequality, The Black Box of Society, articles such as Machine Bias, Austerity as an Algorithm, are algorithms building the new infrastructure of racism. He raises an intriguing question. It admits algorithms can be biased. And we talked about this in episode 256, Will Artificial Intelligence Change Investing, that many of these algorithms learn from data that they're fed. And if the data has biases, then the algorithms will have biases. Miller writes, the most relevant question for practitioner and policymakers is, how do the bias and performance of algorithms compare with the status quo? Rather than simply asking whether algorithms are flawed, we should be asking how these flaws compare to those of human beings. He continues, there is a large body of research on algorithmic decision-making that dates back several decades. And the existing studies on this topic all have a remarkably similar conclusion. Algorithms are less biased and more accurate than the humans they're replacing. Now, we have to reduce the institutional bias in algorithms. But the reality is, in many, many circumstances, they're just more accurate. They're being used more and more in medical diagnosis, judicial sentencing, Recruiting, mortgage applications, allocating resources in public agencies, areas that have shown that humans have some biases. And in many cases, the algorithms are less biased and more accurate. But they're not perfect. And they're not going to be perfect because the world has irreducible uncertainty, especially the investing world. Back in episode 256 on artificial intelligence, I admitted that I was skeptical about the ability of AI to essentially be successful investors because the world changes too much. Certainly some hedge funds have been successful using them, but as individuals, it will be difficult to do. And I mentioned that we went through some of the models, components that you need for an AI system. But I've thought about it some more. In some ways, my standards were too high. I wanted the equivalent of a completely self-driving investment vehicle. Just does it all. We're not even there when it comes to self-driving vehicles. The Society of Automotive Engineers and other entities such as the NHTSA have levels of automation when it comes to self-driving cars. The first is level zero. The human driver does all the driving. Level one, you have some advanced driving assistance systems. Level two, which is really what the Tesla is, kind of between a two and a three, the human driver must continue to pay full attention, i.e. monitor the driving environment at all times and perform the rest of the driving task. But there is 
some assistance in terms of steering, braking, accelerating. Level three does more of that. The human driver still performs some of the driving task. It's not until level five where you get a completely automated driving system and the human occupants are just passengers. We're not there in driving. We're not there in investing. But are there some level of automation that we can put in our investing? The equivalent of sensors and other safety features that automobiles have. There is. Before we look at that, let me pause here and share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash David. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. On this podcast and in my upcoming book, I'm trying to distill investing down to its essence. What do you need to know? What are the guardrails? What are the rules of thumb? What are the sensors that will allow you to monitor environment so you just know what to do without overthinking it, without making it overly complicated? A self-driving car seems really complex, but it's sensors monitoring the environment, and then it has the centralized computer that's taking those inputs and making decisions. Investing is the same thing. And we can rely on rules of thumb to do that. And I've talked about many of these. The primary one is to look at what is driving returns, both historical returns and future returns. And most investments, which have a positive expected return, they have three components that we've talked about. They have cash flow in terms of dividends, interest, rent, how that cash flow is growing over time and how it's expected to grow. And the third thing is what are investors willing to pay for those cash flows? And if we're looking at historical returns, we can look at what the dividend yield was for stocks over time, how that dividend yield and earnings grew over time, and how the price to earnings ratio changed. Investors are willing to pay more today than they were 20 years ago or 30 years ago for stocks. And that has contributed to higher returns. That's the basis of it. And so when we're looking at investing, we want to look at those return drivers. See what the current cash flow is. Come up with a reasonable estimate of cash flow growth. And then be aware, are investors paying a premium for those cash flows? So they're very, very expensive, or do they not want anything to do with that? 
That's one set of guardrails. Another is if you believe the market, the consensus of the market, the price that a particular security, let's say Tesla stock, that the market is wrong, that they have misjudged what the expected cash flow growth is, or they're not paying enough for that cash flow growth, then you buy individual stocks. But if you don't have any type of insight into that, and I don't, then you buy a basket of securities through an index fund or an exchange-traded fund. And because of that, some of them will surprise to the upside, some of them will disappoint, but they'll cancel each other out. So in aggregate, your return will be driven by the cash flow, the cash flow growth, and the change in what investors are willing to pay for those cash flows. Those are simple guardrails. Another is diversify. How much do we put into each of those opportunities? We want a diversity of cash flow streams. So we want some of that cash flow to come from corporate earnings growth, dividends. We want some to come from rent, such as investing in real estate investment trust. We want some to come from interest. That's the ultra short-term bonds. Maybe we want some to come from a side business that we have. So multiple streams of income or multiple streams of cash flow. It's kind of a cliche, but that's what we want. And then how much do we put in each of those opportunities? Well, there's a paper, and I've referred to it in the past, it's called Optimal Versus Naive Diversification. How inefficient is the one divided by N portfolio strategy? By Victor Di Miguel, Lorenzo Garlapi. They find that just an equal-weighted approach to allocation works just as well as some elaborate optimization model using modern portfolio theory. My portfolio isn't equal-weighted, but it's pretty close. If I look at how it's allocated, I tend to put more weight in areas where I have higher confidence in the cash flow, that it's more secure. So I'm getting a stock-like return, let's say 6 6.5%, and I can be confident that it's coming through cash flow. In that case, I'll put a little more than an equal weight. But the idea here is not to overthink it. Use what I've described as an asset garden approach to investing. You don't optimize flower gardens. There isn't a perfect answer. You can't get it perfect. You just plant a variety of flowers, different kinds. We can do the same thing with our investing and not make it so complicated. Look at the portfolio drivers, understand how a particular investment is going to generate return. Look at how the market is valuing it. Are they putting a premium on those cash flows? And have a number of them in your portfolio. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I assume Tesla and other self-driving vehicles, they are aware of road conditions. In other words, if it's icy or rainy, that their algorithm takes that into account. But what the algorithm doesn't do is say, I'm just not going to drive at all. It's aware of the conditions, but it keeps driving. We're in an interesting environment right now when it comes to investing. There was the lead article in The Economist this past week is markets are braced for a global downturn. 
They write, looking for meaning in financial markets is like looking for patterns in a violent sea. The information that emerges is the product of buying and selling by people with all their contradictions. Prices reflect a mix of emotion, biases, and cold-eyed calculation. Yet taken together, markets express something about both the mood of investors and the temper of the times. The most commonly ascribed signal is complacency. Dangers are often ignored until too late. However, the dominant mood in markets today, as it has been for much of the past decade, is not complacency, but anxiety. And it's deepening by the day. Investors are worried. Last week, the yield curve in the U.S., the 10-year minus the two-year yield, went negative. And there were all kinds of reports about it. Now, there's been aspects of the yield curve that's been negative for months. But for whatever reason, last week, everyone was talking about it. Ben Carlson of Ritz-Holtz Asset Management tweeted, During the next recession, quote, I called the recession, said literally everyone. Everyone seems to be so clued in to this potential recession. Economists admit storm clouds are certainly gathering. But they continue. Yet a recession is so far a fear, not a reality. The world economy is still growing, albeit at a less healthy pace than in 2018. Its resilience rests on consumers, not least in America. Jobs are plentiful. Wages are picking up. Credit is still easy. And cheaper oil means there's more money to spend. What is more, there has been little sign of heady exuberance that normally precedes a slump. I'm not positioned in my portfolio and the model portfolios of money for the rest of us plus for the recession that everyone is predicting because while storm clouds may be gathering, the early warning signs aren't there yet. There's some inverted yield curve, but many are not suggesting a recession is imminent. In last week's episode, I shared three things that I'm looking at credit spreads, corporate earnings, and how the non-manufacturing sector is doing per PMI survey data. That's what I'm looking at. And we can't be so reliant on humans predicting a recession. We just need some guardrails and decide, first off, how big our portfolio is and whether we can ride out a recession and not make any changes at all. If our portfolio is diverse, with multiple return drivers, then we're going to be okay. The idea is we don't maximize for perfect answers. There are no perfect predictors out there that are always correct. Most are wrong. And so like a Tesla, which is not fully autonomous, but has a number of safety features that are coming together and assisting drivers who have to keep their hands on the wheel at least every 30 seconds, otherwise the car will go, get out of autopilot mode. We do the same thing with our investing. We have some basic principles that we follow, some rules of thumb, a framework. It's good enough. We can't maximize for a perfect answer. We can't optimize. We just do our best 
And maybe someday investing will be so automated that we can completely ignore it. I think we're a long time from that. But in the meantime, we can't be completely dependent on humans and go to whoever we think is the best prognosticator and put all our faith in them. We need to be reliant on ourselves and some of these guardrails like we talked about, the return drivers. Be aware of what dividend yields are. Be aware of what price-to-earnings ratios are. And have a diversity of different assets in your portfolio. And don't waste time trying to predict whether a particular stock or security is mispriced. Maybe you want to do that. I don't have time to do that. I'm assuming I don't know if it's mispriced. I'll own a basket of securities through ETFs and index funds. That's episode 265, Invest Like a Tesla. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While there, please sign up for my free insider's guide, and I'll share with you each week those links so you don't have to go back to my website and look them up. You'll have them right there in your email, along with an essay I do on money, investing, and the economy, some of the best writing I do each week right there in your inbox, the insider's guide. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.